You're listening to a podcast series celebrating the 25th anniversary of GINA, the global initiative for asthma. We're in London to interview world-renowned asthma specialists, healthcare professionals and patients, focusing on the issues, objectives and achievements of GINA and to look ahead to the future developments that the next 25 years will bring. In this podcast, we're focusing specifically on the important issues from a patient perspective. What can clinicians and patients learn from the real-life examples of our two guests, Fiona and Salian, who join us today? Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Nice to be here. Could I turn to you first, Fiona? Could you first describe your asthma and give us a good idea of what it is like to live with a condition? My asthma has been severe all my life, since I was nine weeks old. Now it is quite well controlled, well, very well controlled, but all through my life, it's been like a a shadow behind me, lurking. I have never been able to rely on my breathing. It can be completely incapacitating. People think bad asthma is just a bit of a cough or a wheeze, but for me, if I have a severe attack, I am completely incapacitated. I can't talk, I can't move, I will lose consciousness. So there's always that lurking around, uh, the threat of that attack. It's been limiting throughout all aspects of my life, school life, work life, being a mother. It's affected my parenting in a massive way, not being able to breathe. So looking after a young child when you can't breathe is practically impossible. Sally and I, I know you've had very similar experiences to me. Yes, I have. Asthma is a very debilitating condition and growing up was extremely difficult for me. I felt very different to everybody else. Me too. Know we talked about this, yeah. that we were the only children in all of our school that had such a severe asthma condition. And then as I grew up and had my own family, for a little while I wasn't too bad. It was relatively well controlled but then things changed and the allergies became more extreme and that really affected my ability to parent. We're going to talk about children with asthma a bit later on in these podcasts but I'm interested to ask both of you was there a stigma attached to having asthma when you were very young? Certainly my friends mothers and fathers were frightened of having me round to their house. Do you remember that? Yes and I I dreaded going to someone else's mm. house. And and there was a stigma at school. I do remember one incident with a particularly unpleasant teacher at my school who came up to me and said, you're not that fit and able, are you, Fiona? They had no understanding of asthma at all. And it was invisible. My asthma was invisible to everyone at school because it's it was silent and my asthma attacks were silent. And there I was, a scared little child, too embarrassed and shy to say, actually, I need help. And, and I really wanted someone to notice. Mm. There I was, gasping, not gasping, but, you know, heaving to breathe. And no one noticed, and it used to upset me a lot. It just shows how far we've come, doesn't it, really? It sounds awful, both of your experiences when you were children. And I, I remember myself, there were children with asthma, and it was just kind of almost a taboo. It's, it's crazy when Absolutely. you think about it. Yeah. Could I ask you going forward, what, what sort of problems do you think it is important for people to hear that you should highlight about having the condition? 
I think the potential of it changing very quickly. So you can be just a little bit wheezy um, and be given an inhaler. But actually, there is much more to it than that. Um, because I know that nowadays you'll hear somebody, oh my, if Charles got an inhaler, you know, they've got the blue one. Um, and it's because they've done a little bit of exercise and they've got a bit of a wheeze. And they don't really think about, actually, it can be very different. It can change very quickly, like my asthma did. It um, deteriorated in a flash. Yes, it, it, same with me. It, it could get much worse very quickly. Mm. So your expectations as patients, I have to be honest, you don't sound, either of you, like you have asthma. You sound like you're in tip-top condition. Um, obviously, you've got good treatment and yeah. you're doing very well at the moment. I mean, is that a fair assumption? It, yes, it, absolutely. Very good treatment. Um, took a long, long time to happen. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I was born in 62 where there was nothing. Yeah. Um, I spent most of my childhood in an oxygen tent on the hospital ward. Really? Yeah. And then from now, very well controlled with inhalers, two inhalers a day and biological injections every fortnight. I'm, I have the same treatment as Sally. Um, I didn't, looking back to my youth, I was born in 1954. The asthma treatment for children then was just a horrible tasting pill. I didn't have an inhaler till I was 19. And I, I don't know how I survived my childhood. I, I honestly don't know how I didn't die at school or during my childhood. People never realized how severe it is. And as Sally said, it's, you know, everyone's got a blue inhaler now. Everyone mm. has one. It's almost trivialized because it's mm. overdiagnosed. So people think asthma is a bit like hay fever, but for me and Sally, it's life-threatening. Can I ask you about medical practitioners and what do you want and both expect from your asthma doctor? Fiona, can I ask you first? Well, do you know, I'm very fortunate because I live in a rural area, the practice, I go to is quite large and they are very good with my asthma control. If I have a problem and I phone up for appointment, I can always get one. The asthma nurse I have is also asthmatic, so she understands and that, that helps a lot. And of course, both of us go to the hospital every two weeks. So I feel very reassured by the treatment we receive. Mm. I would like to see everybody have that standard but it's not always the case. So is that your experience? In relation to your care, can you highlight some positive aspects as well? And what have you particularly liked about your asthma care? In the, well, since night, well, no, 2001, um, from when I became under the biological specialist, it completely changed. Before that, I was left to manage myself. So I would be prescribed the medicine um, I would have a lot of steroid tablets, you know, perhaps a hundred at a time, um, antibiotics in the drawer and left to manage it really because I was considered unmanageable. Yeah. So I would medicate myself. I, I did um, too. I saw lots of asthma nurses in the doctor's surgery who would say, oh, we'll have this new inhaler um, and here's a nebulizer, but actually it was never really managed. There was a lot of lovely intention um, and a lot of care, and but it wasn't managed. It was left to me. What about now, today? I mean, you talked about both of you 
the positive aspects of your care. Are there some negative experiences as well? What stands out for you in relation to the care that you've experienced? Mm. So recently my GP has retired and the practice has changed an awful lot. And just before Christmas, I had quite a virus, which meant that I needed some steroid medication and antibiotics. And I used to just be able to phone up and have a chat with them and I'd have a prescription. Um, and it, in fact, it took me six hours to get to see the doctor. It wasn't a doctor, it was a pharmacist who was holding the surgery, um, who was very nice, but made a mistake on my prescription. And from when I phoned at eight o'clock in the morning, I didn't actually get my medicine until half past six that evening. The difficulty with this condition is that it's so variable. So you need people to be completely on the ball all the time. As you said, a doctor retires, they don't know you personally, and then suddenly you walk into a clinic and you're not getting the care that you need because they don't, by just looking at a piece of paper, they're not going to know everything, are they? No, of course not. So we're here commemorating the 25th anniversary of GINA, the Global Initiative on Asthma. And I must ask you both, are you fully aware of the work that GINA does? We've been talking about how things have changed markedly from when you were children, uh, beyond that, and of course the last 25 years. But are you aware of the work that GINA has done? And perhaps would it be good if patients knew more about it? I have to say I wasn't aware of GINA until this week. But over the last 25 years, I do know that there has been huge improvement in asthma care, certainly in the UK, certainly for me in terms of the drugs that are available and the awareness of asthma has become a crusade for me. I really am desperate to promote the awareness of severe asthma. So there must be a driving force somewhere that has done this. And now it's clear to me that it has been Gina. sally Ann, it would be good to know more specifically what Gina has done for patients, so you can spread the word, I suppose. Absolutely. I, like Fiona, I wasn't aware of Gina at all. Um, but I can say equally that asthma treatment has changed dramatically in the last 25 years. What is it that you don't yet understand about your asthma treatments? Is there anything that sticks out for you? I think for me, it's when I am very unwell so when I can't breathe as I should, and I know that my main treatment has always been adrenaline to reduce the allergy side of things. But after that, you know, you can be given so many medicines, can't you? Mm. And mm. you're not in a place to question. You can't speak. Um, and you never really get a great explanation about what's happened to you. So is it a case of the instructions that you're getting need to be more clear? Not for me, actually. I, I, I think I know my own asthma very well. I've lived with it. I don't know any different. So I do what I've always done. It's been fantastic being on biologic treatment and that's changed everything enormously. Do you think it's important to exchange information with other asthma sufferers and swap ideas and experiences? Yeah, we do. And certainly all of us that are on the biological medicine mm -hmm. have a little group going. The asthma club. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we do exchange. And certainly for me, if I meet anybody that has asthma or has a child with asthma, I will stress the importance of understanding how quickly it can change. Mm. So on a practical level, do you think it's really important that patients like yourselves, asthma sufferers like yourselves, 
exchange information and swap ideas and experiences? Yes, I do. Um, I mean, I've seen people use their inhalers incorrectly, you know, just spraying it into their mouth and you can see all the medicine escaping instead of it going down to where it's needed. I wonder why that happens, you know, because I was shown how to use it properly. Um, Do you think or, there's a disconnect between the healthcare professionals and patients and they're not explaining it well enough? Or they just I don't think have the patience for it? Yeah, it's a rapid world we live in, isn't it? And a prescription is written quickly and given um, and then received from the pharmacist and perhaps they could do a bit of educating. But, yeah. um, you know, people are given these things, quick squirt, and they think that's it. Or actually there's a real technique to get the best out of it. My nephew's little boy who has asthma, he's been admitted to hospital three times, but his mother doesn't know, she doesn't understand, and I'm always having to chip in and say, actually, he's not using his inhaler properly, all sorts of things that she's not aware of. And I hope it's helpful, and I hope she can share that information with other parents at school. We talked about it earlier on, about how asthma affects your daily lives, but can you give us some historical examples of what you've had to go through over the years. Indeed, I can. Probably one of the worst times was when, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I had a bad asthma attack and was hospitalized, ended up affecting the delivery. I had an emergency cesarean, which I actually wasn't sorry about in, in the end, but has had a big impact on her life as well as mine in many ways. She's always felt concerned about me She's always been worried about me, and it's a frightening thing for a little girl to have a mother who's maybe unconscious on the floor. And I felt guilty about it. I felt guilty about her childhood being affected by my asthma. Makes them grow up fast, doesn't it? It really does, yeah. It, it does. That's a very dramatic example. I mean, is, is that a rarity nowadays? It's a rarity now, yeah. What about you, Sonia-Anne? It was things like you couldn't go on holiday. I always needed to be in radius of the hospital that knew me well. It was never far from where I live. And also um, different places that you go to, the dust would affect me. So I couldn't be there for long. Or I'd have to do a really big clean sweep once we arrived. You know, places that would be clean, but they wouldn't be clean enough. Also, I couldn't do the things like go on the school trip to support the teachers. I never did that. My worst scenario was Christmas Day of 96, when I'd very excited four very small children, and um, I'd had a night of not breathing well and nebulizing at home, doing my absolute utmost to not have to go to hospital, and then collapsing in the bathroom at five o'clock in the morning, being taken off by ambulance, and begging to be let out of hospital to go home for Christmas with the children and have their presents and I wasn't well enough to go, um, which was heartbreaking. And then ending up on the ward that evening, feeling so ill and an enormous weight on my chest that was pressing like a concrete slab, just pushing me down. And then at that point I knew I was dying and I actually did die. Fortunately, somebody on the ward rung the bell and went off and got the doctors and nurses and they resassed me. I didn't know anything for two weeks. I went on a life support machine um, and I arrested several times. And my husband was asked to bring my children to come and say goodbye to me because they didn't think I would pull through. 
because I wasn't responding to treatment at that time. Then I was very fortunate that there was a doctor there who had seen a case like me or heard of it, should I say. Um, and after talking to my husband about what had been going on with me, how was I reacting to nebulizing and everything, they realized that I was one in a many millions case of needing a very different treatment. And then they changed the treatment and I was very, very lucky that I pulled through. So that's more than 20 years ago. Yeah. A lot of people think about asthma as something very physical, which of course it is. But the mental effect of that on you and your family oh, must have been absolutely severe and probably has still carried with you. I feel guilty. Um, I felt like I shouldn't have had children, that I'd ruined their lives. And I'm sure they don't think that. No, no, they don't. But it's there. You know, I wasn't as good a mum as a lot of others. And I strive incredibly hard to make up in other ways. But my husband absolutely hates Christmas. Um, he cannot stand it. He won't forget that. He'll never forget no. it. He said it's always there because it was so awful taking the children to kiss me goodbye. Oh, don't. Yeah. I can't imagine. But <laughs> it's always that, that threat that actually am I going to pull through and what do you leave behind? I know. That's my biggest fear with an asthma attack. Cause you still live with that now? No. Not now. Because of your treatment. Exactly. Yeah. Biologic treatment has been a miracle and changed my life completely. So do you, do you both feel very lucky? Oh, I can't tell you. Incredibly lucky. Before I was on this treatment, the hospitals, the GP said, there's nothing more we can do for mm. you. And I was in the hospital maybe three, four times a year. And that has an impact on your children. So it's important that anybody listening to this podcast is inspired by these stories. They are very difficult to hear about because it sounds really awful. I admire your courage. It's important that you can share this with those who are suffering, who are listening to think, you know, there is another way, that there's a way out of this. Absolutely. I mean, my life is completely different. Mm. Um, I'm a successful career woman who works for um, and strives to improve things for autistic children. I manage a children's service. Um, I've become the main earner since my husband had a stroke and can't work um, and carried my family through and I couldn't have done you, that. You wouldn't have been able to do it. that, would you? Never, never in a million years without the change in treatment of asthma. Mm -hmm. And what's quality of life for you, Fiona? I understand you've got lots of pets and horses. It, it's even. completely different. Yeah. Having My life has been blighted by asthma for so long. It stopped me doing the things I, 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 funnily enough, I could have been a very good athlete. Couldn't do that because I couldn't breathe. Show jumping, I wanted to be a show jumper. I wanted to be a vet. I couldn't do any of those things. And I'd accepted that, that this was my life. There was no cure for my asthma. I had to live with it. But now, with biologic treatment, I have four dogs, three cats, two horses, three rabbits. The cats come on my bed. The horses, with all that that involves, you know, hay and straw, I have no symptoms with wow. it now. It's a, it is a miracle. Can I ask you both some more practical questions that you can share with those listening? How do you remember to take your asthma medication? What are your tricks? I don't need to remember. No. I don't need to remember. I know how bad it is and I don't need prompting. Do you come across people who 
saying, oh, I can never, I can never remember. I'm always forgetting. No, I do. And I think you can't be that bad then. Mm. So what asthma medication equipment do you have to take on? I mean, I, I'm assuming you now go on holidays, Leanne, because yeah, you were saying yeah. you didn't before. No. Um, but is there a whole suitcase of the stuff that you need to take? No, nope, not at all. No. Nope. So if I was going abroad, I would make sure probably that I've got some antibiotics and some steroid tablets just in case. Um, and then just my regular inhalers. I have two inhalers and um, an EpiPen. So the technology has moved on. I remember yeah. as a child, my father had quite severe asthma and there was a whole case of nebulizers, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. uh, to do. But that things have changed, have they? Yeah, massively. Yeah, I, I had, I've got three nebulizers in a cupboard at home that are, they're gathering dust. Yeah. So I, I have the same medication as Sally, pretty much. So if I go away, I have that supply. But it's very rare that I've had yeah. to use it. I mean, I take my preventative inhaler and and a Ventolin, but which I hardly ever use. So Sally Ann mentioned this horrific experience on Christmas Day. Mm. Have you also had to have emergency treatment for an asthma attack? Yes, not as bad as Sally, but I have been in intensive care. My husband tells me I lose consciousness, but I don't remember. I don't know about that. I have seen some emergency situations like with my own mother. She was asthmatic. So when was the last time it happened? To me, yeah, a hospitalisation mm. 17, 18 years ago. So the treatment's working? It's really working, yeah. What about your friends and your family? Do they know what to do if you have an asthma attack? I mean, it sounds to me like your treatment is going so well, it doesn't happen very often, but they've grown up with it, your children, mm. and they've had to, to deal with all sorts of situations that most children don't have to. Do. My family is certainly very well aware of the dangers of asthma because my mother died of it. She had a very severe attack and um, I had a phone call from my brother-in-law. And by the time I got home, she was actually dead on the kitchen floor. And my daughter now says, is that, is that, is that what's going to happen to you, Mum? Fortunately, I, I can now say, no, I'm fine. But that's what she grew up with. She knew. Um, she was only two when that happened, but she knew. She's always been aware of the impact that day had on my whole family, and she'd off, she often talked about it. So she has lived with that fear, and I don't know what that might have done to her as a child, and it's made me feel very guilty over the years. But, you know, she's become a very caring, compassionate person because of it, I think, um, and it's tough because she was the only one who had a, a mother that had a life-threatening condition. And like Sally, I, I always felt I couldn't be the mother I wanted to be. And she, she watched me grow up with, with that grief and everything that went with it. And all, all of us were so devastated by what happened to my mother. And hopefully, and, and thankfully, now that, that, that threat and fear has been removed and she sees me healthy and happy. And hopefully that's the same for Sally too. Yes, I mean, my father was the one that had asthma, just as severe. And when I was so ill in hospital, he was my rock, but well, he was my rock growing up. He was the one person that knew what it was like and had such an attitude that would get me through. And then within months of me recovering from that 
awful period. He um, came round to my house, it was Easter, and he had an asthma attack and died on my kitchen floor. Mm. Um, and my children were small. Um, and the whole thing that happens when it's a sudden death, the police arriving, the body not being able to be moved, um, the children having to walk past him to get to the bedrooms because we lived in a bungalow and it was the main walkthrough. It was awful and exactly the same thing. My eldest son um, was very angry with me because he then knew, he felt that I was going to leave him too. Um, and the same words, you know, are you going to have that? Is that going to happen to you? How has that affected them as adults? They have become very caring. They're very conscious of people needing help. They wouldn't walk away from somebody that needed help. I think you can take the good out of it in that it has brought the best out of them. They're not people that are immune from these experiences. So they have an empathy that perhaps other people haven't had the experience to have. Fiona, yeah. the same for you? Yes, absolutely. I think those bad experiences do make you a different person, but doesn't necessarily mean it makes you a worse person. I think in, in our cases, yeah. our children have have become better people, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Mm. Good positive note to end on. Well, it's been fascinating talking to you both today. Do you have a a message or something to say to any asthma sufferers listening to this podcast that might be helpful? Take it seriously. Even if you think you haven't got severe asthma, it can change. So be aware of what you need to do if it does change and use your medication correctly. Fiona? Definitely be adherent to your medication plan. If you're having a bad time, ask for a referral. If you're just having primary care and you're not happy with it, ask for a referral before it gets too bad. Fiona, sally thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you. The GINA website has a suite of up-to-date, evidence-based documents, booklets, videos, an implementation toolkit and other useful information. If you're a healthcare professional interested in GINA resources for your hospital or healthcare system, or if you have ideas for new resources, please email us via our website, ginaasthma.org. Thank you for listening and for sharing in our mission to reduce the global burden of asthma.